welcome, partners. This is Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. <laughs> My name's Christopher, and I'm the law on these here parts. Dear Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Over yonder is the woman that put the wild into the West, Lydia. Well, how y'all doing today? <laughs> you always surprise me with those intros. So just anybody listening, just so you guys know, I never know what he's going to say at the beginning of these. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is Orphan Entertainment. Uh, before we get started, uh, first, I should say, welcome, Lydia. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely, and thank you all for listening. I want you to know, or just want to remind everyone, uh, if you are downloading us through the iTunes store, if you would please go and rate us, would be awesome, and leave a review would be even better. That's rate, R-A-T-E. Please don't rate us, which is R-A-I-D. No, we've got nothing. We, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need any bandits. Uh, breaking in on our mind <laughs> down here. <laughs> yeah. uh, of course, please, jo- if you're on Facebook, come over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Orphan Entertainment. And of course, please subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch all the films and television shows and whatever it is that we are reviewing for the month, which is continuing to get uh, subscriber after subscriber. I can't Thank you guys enough, and if uh, hopefully you guys are coming over from the YouTube channel to the podcast or vice versa, it's a it's really great to see the uh, the channel growing, and I think we maybe have some plans for that channel in the future. So you know, stay tuned. Maybe, maybe. If you guys are good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's really about it. So. Oh, of course, our email. If you want to send us any feedback to be read on one of a future show of Orphan Entertainment or an MP3 or WAV file, some audio feedback, send that to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. All right, that's all the fancy contact stuff out of the way. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a short break, and I can actually say what we're going to listen to. Finally, our good friend and fellow podcaster, Derek M. Cook has of Monster Kid Radio has finally put together a promo. So have a listen to that, and definitely check out his podcast. It's a Rondo Award-winning podcast, and it's well that award was well deserved. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here, your host. Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. All right, welcome back. Okay, this year we are talking about, this is the first Western that we've talked about here on Orphan Entertainment. I can't believe we have gone three years and not talked about a Western. Exactly. <laughs> we and I, That was actually, I think, the gist of the conversation when we decided on this film was, what? We Really? We haven't? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, these were these westerns were like these staples of American cinema and American television for you know decades at, at the you know the, the the birth of the film and television industry. And it's like, wait a minute, there's so many of them out there. Like, how have we not talked about one of exactly. these? Exactly. So of course we started you guys off right with the Duke. That's right. The pre-Duke Duke. The pre- <laughs> Before the Duke was the Duke. <laughs> yeah, we are going to talk about a 1933 Western called Sagebrush Trail, starring a man who would become one of the most recognizable and iconic actors for the next 30-plus years following this film, John Wayne. Who looks now, incredibly young in this. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, he. I think he was only in his late 20s, I think. Uh, we'll talk to a little, about a little bit more a little more on him in just a minute here. I'll tell you a little bit more about the film. Sagebrush Trail was filmed by Lone Star Productions, an independent production company led by Paul Malvern, and with a Monogram, Monogram Pictures distributing the film. Monogram was a Hollywood studio that was considered one of the kind of the best of the smaller studios that were in Hollywood. The, this group of small budget film studios was often referred to as Poverty Row. Mm -hmm. So if you ever hear about a Poverty Row picture, it came from one of these smaller studios. The film was shot in some well-filmed areas, Mm -hmm. including Bronson Canyon, which is a section of Griffith Park. The canyon was originally a quarry in the early 1900s. Just a rock quarry that they used to help build uh, a lot of the the roads and, and buildings in L.A., it was abandoned around the late 1920s. Uh, the craggy landscape and caves left over from the mining made it a very popular spot for filmmakers. Some well-known uses of the cave, which is actually a short tunnel, whose other entrance is easily visible looking from one <laughs> side to another, would be another public domain film that we probably should cover one of these days, White Zombie from 1932. Uh, 1953's Robot Monster, which I think think may actually also be in the public domain but is a um wow that's a watch uh <laughs> the exterior of the bat cave in the 1960 series batman yes. we saw the batmobile roaring out of the bat cave across <laughs> the canyon and the the cave and the canyon is still seen occasionally today uh, including 2010's mega shark versus crocosaurus And and that's just the movies. Uh, That's just the films. Countless TV shows have used the setting as well, including the and even um, a couple books have been set. The stories and stuff have been set in Bronson Canyon. Very popular spot. It's one of those fun things. I love watching some of these old and not so old films. And whenever you see these people, there that one particular uh, cave or tunnel entrance is very recognizable. Like, oh, I know that place. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's Robot Monsters Cave. <laughs> now I can say it's the, it's the gang's hideout. Exactly. Well, John Wayne. I mean, where do you begin with John Wayne? Well, let's start uh, with he was 26 when he filmed this. Yes, like you were saying, very young. And, you know, why it's not immediately apparent in this film, Wayne would become an American icon he was born in Iowa. He grew up in Southern California. And after losing a football scholarship because of an injury, he found some work at some small uh, at some film studios, uh, usually appearing in some small bit parts or as an extra. Until about 19, I think it was in 1930, when he got his first leading role in the film The Big Trail. And from there, he became a staple of the Western B-Pictures. 
but it was in 1939 that John Ford's stagecoach uh, launched John Wayne into mainstream stardom, and in the end, he starred in 142 films. Wow. A uh, biographer, Ronald Davis, uh, says this of John Wayne, said he personified for millions the nation's frontier heritage. Mm-hmm. 83 of his movies were westerns, and in them he played cowboys, cavalrymen, and unconquerable loners extracted from the Republic's central creation myth. So I think that kind of sums it up. He really was sort of well poster child, I, I suppose, for how we pictured the Old West. Uh, let's see. His films and you know his, his actually own personal life is really... Fool. Uh, to try to condense it into a couple paragraphs is almost impossible. So I'll kind of stop here. But I really encourage anyone who maybe they're maybe not be too familiar with John Wayne to really seek out some of his films and, and read a little bit more about the man. I think you'll have a really good time. Mm-hmm. It was actually when I was looking through this, I'm thinking, oh, John Wayne. Everyone knows John Wayne. But I'm, then it occurred to me, you know, it was like, you know what? I bet you there's a whole lot of kids and a lot of people I, I know today that probably don't know who John Wayne is. Yeah, especially now. Yeah, it's just getting a little too far removed, and that's a that's a shame. It was a fantastic and fun band to watch on film. Mm-hmm. I wanted to mention one other actor that appears in this film. He's also a stunt man, and may in fact be the reason we have the iconic John Wayne that we do. Yakima Knut. Mm-hmm. Grew up uh, riding bulls and busting broncos, and he became a stuntman in the 20s. Now, here in Sagebrush Trail, he starred as the gang leader, Ed Walsh, uh, also called the chief a lot in the, uh, in the film. And he also doubled for John Wayne for several stunts. He and Wayne met in 1932 during the filming of The Shadow of the Eagle, and the two kind of found a little mutual respect for each other and struck up a friendship. And it was Knut that actually taught Wayne how to fall from a horse. <laughs> I love this. Interesting. Yeah. You do. You have to. <laughs> I, I will say I've done it once. How about, but to do yeah, it how right. About, how, about, <laughs> how about taught Wayne how to fall from a horse without getting hurt? There, there you <laughs> go. Yeah. Without killing yourself. The two of them worked together many times. And actually, between the two, they developed much of the fighting and stunt techniques that are, are used even to this day. It's been said that much of the way John Wayne portrayed himself on screen was actually due to studying Knut, down to his trademark drawl and the hip-rolling way of walking. Apparently, uh, one quote I saw that John Wayne just declared that he was just, he was a true cowhand, and he just was fascinated by the guy Mm -hmm. and just sort of mimicked him and used him to develop his on-screen presence. I thought that was very cool. And uh, speaking of some of the... uh, the stunt work, and we'll talk about it as we get into the film. There's some really great um, uh, riding stunts and what, I guess, what would you call it? Just cowboy stunts in general mm-hmm. in this film. Riding stunts. And honestly, yeah, that was one of the things that I noted down too is you don't have a lot of background music and there's not a ton of dialogue, but you definitely have a lot of uh, Western style stunts. I also read too that, you know, Canute was done so many of these westerns and you saw one little stunt in it and we'll 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 get to it <laughs> actually you know we'll just i'll just wait till we actually get to it in the synopsis and i'll, I'll bring up just i hope i don't forget <laughs> okay i'm curious to know if it's the one that i noted down to 
So Sagebrush Trail. Uh, surprisingly, it opens in what looks to be a, a big or, or fairly modern city. And it, with we get some of the great uh, uh, newspaper print footage, the uh, the stock footage of the newspapers on the press. You, I kept waiting for like the paper to spin yes. into the into the. <laughs> And we do see some uh, some newsboys yelling out the headlines. Extra, and I, extra. Oh. <laughs> and apparently, and I couldn't make out everything I said, but I think the gist of it is that you know there has been a man accused of murder, and that he's escaped the authorities, broken out of jail. Right, and he's believed. I guess somewhere along the way, he's believed to be headed west, and on a train. That's how. That, like I said. The audio, unfortunately, in this film is not the best of quality. Did you watch it on YouTube or Archive I watched, before we get too much further? I actually watched two or three, or I went through two or three different versions. I watched it uh, front to back, you know, end to end uh, twice, not not back to back. I watched it from beginning to end twice, and then I uh, kind of looked up a third one to see kind of how the audio quality was. The best mm. audio quality was hosted by um, a YouTube channel called the video seller okay that was uh, of the three that i saw that was the best quality but bear in mind that even that said it's not exceptionally good quality it is grainy the film okay. is grainy grainy and the audio is grainy but i it wasn't i think once you kind of got to expecting it to be that way it wasn't too distracting right no it wasn't horrible i watched the one that came down off of archive mm-hmm. i think that was the first uh, one I, I saw I did mean to, and I didn't get a chance. I, I saw that it is actually hosted on Amazon, and I believe it's uh, available free through Prime, but I did not uh, get a chance to dial that one up and see if it's any better. Mm-hmm. I've actually been a little disappointed with some of those. Most of those seem like they are just getting them from the same sources as everybody right. else. Right, yeah. I so don't, they're, they're nothing much special. I have access to that, but I don't typically use it. Mm-hmm. I always kind of forget that I have it. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I've got so much else to watch. Exactly. It's, it's not my account. <laughs> it's my husband's, so I don't really think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we see an officer at a, looks like a train station that it tells the engineer he needs to search the train because he's, he's, he's got some information that, a, that this escaped prisoner may be on board. Well, we see Mr. A, um, oh, I'm sorry, and um, he's looking for a, guy named John Brandt, who this is, of course, Mr. John Wayne. Well, Mr. Brandt is indeed on this train, and upon seeing the cops starting to search the cars and everything, he makes a run for it, but he's spotted by the sheriff, and they give chase. And then we see one of our first of many horse-mounting stunts <laughs> by Mr. Canut. He does that awesome just little jump from the back over the hindquarters mm-hmm. of the horse onto the saddle. That's uh, pretty, uh, I think he kind of he may have invented that. I'm not sure. <laughs> it is It is done very smoothly. It is. And it happens more than once in this movie, as you mentioned. And it, it kind of highlights to me how tall these guys are. Uh, oh, yeah. Because, you know, I'm 5'7", five, 5'6", five, 5'7", five, and I could never even hope to do something like that. No. And John Wayne was, what, 6'4", something like that? Uh, I, I've seen different uh, reports about his height. There seems to be some discussion about how tall he really was imagine the boots <laughs> well you With know the boots definitely six four <laughs> <laughs> easily <laughs> well after a horse chase through the hills uh brant is thrown from his horse while the sheriff and his deputy are shooting at him and he falls into a lake 
Mystery Man watches the everything that's been going on at this point, and the sheriff and his deputy kind of try to do a brief search through the lake in the in the shallows, trying to find them. I think it's worth mentioning, um, and I it may be something where you have to have seen a few John Wayne movies to even pick this out, but. In these opening scenes, he is dressed all in black, and I, this is a you know classic way they denote the good guys from the bad guys, and they it's done through so many westerns in this era. But it is it, when I first saw this, I actually thought it wasn't John Wayne for a second because I'd never seen him dressed all in black. He's never mm. dressed as the bad guy, so right. if for <laughs> no other reason, if you're a John Wayne fan, it's worth seeing this just to see him dressed as the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Brant uses a, a reed. He does that great stunt. I always thought that. I only thought that worked in cartoons. <laughs> where he uses a reed from the lake to, as a snorkel, so he can stay underwater and keep from getting spotted. It's, I love too that. Yeah, I mean, they have this whole thing where they're searching for it, and they have these great shot. This great shot specifically where they have him underwater, and one mm-hmm. of the guy's legs is right near him. And I, this is 1933. I think it's also worth worth mentioning. When the scene, when the first scene opens up and the newsboys are calling out, they are very clearly dressed in modern clothes for that time. And I right. kind of was thrown, I didn't notice it the first time because I wasn't really thinking about it being a Western yet. But the second time I watched it, it really threw me off until I realized in the 1930s, there were massive working ranches still across the U.S. So yeah. I don't know whether this was intended to be a contemporary story or not, but the costuming is certainly contemporary, and it's entirely possible this whole thing is meant to be taking place in 1933. I believe it was, just because of, like I said, it starts in the city. You've got, you, they see, you see cars, you know, pulling out, the classic pulling out of the police station, the car sirens going. It is contemporary. It, it, it threw me off at first too. I'm like, oh, this is a, oh, we're gonna watch a western, and it starts out and it's in a city, it's city, it's so and it's everyone just dressed in regular clothes, exactly. and there's cars. I'm like, well, oh, this isn't gonna be as good as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. I think we a lot of the time we don't think about the fact that yeah, even though this is a western, I mean, it it, it doesn't have to be throwback to you know the 1800s to actually have been in a genuine kind of western community. Um, or cowboy community, I think is the better way to phrase it. Right. Yeah, a great deal of the West, including you know Colorado, uh, you know Kansas, what have you. Like you said, Texas. this Texas. I mean, this is still how the place looked. <laughs> I mean, nowadays you wouldn't even think you'd have to you pay have to pay money to go to a you know a ranch and you know a dude ranch or something to see this, but. There was a definitely a, a real interesting, you know, the Mississippi River sort of thing kind of drew yeah. this line between civilized America and still what we would consider the old West exactly. America. Well, and think about, I mean, in the 40s and 50s is really when it started changing. But up through this point, this is only 1933. So this is mm-hmm. still very Western. But back to the movie. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, but right. I love it, though, because even though it has this really good, this good shot, which, it, again, actually what led me on that rabbit uh, trail was, that, you know, this is 1933 and they do this underwater shot. Pretty impressive. Right. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, and then, but I love it because in this is a particularly unique scene because somebody actually notices the reed floating away and they start shooting at it. I was <laughs> yeah. so thrilled because so many times it's like, oh yeah, and then he gets away. Nobody notices this one random reed making a beeline for the opposite shore. So I really, I appreciated that they had enough thought to say, yeah, even though it's not executed very elegantly, they mm-hmm. at least you kind of, they're not just total yokel sheriffs. 
men or you know yeah you know and that is something i wanted to point out too that i i was impressed with this film is that really there was no no one was really played for the idiot in this film everyone was pretty mm-hmm. smart i mean they had to be as dumb as the script needed them to be right. but if that makes there, sense if you understand yeah what I mean. there were no but, total but, idiots but no one was really <laughs> written as being stupid as you know there was none of the oh i'm just gonna walk this way and you know not see the person that's standing right there exactly. at a corner of my eye and be surprised or right. I, I don't know how to really describe it, but I just, there was no one, no one was stupid. Yeah, You, did, you didn't have the guy that was constantly dropping things or tripping over things. I mean, it was just, it was just a story about people. So. Oh, well, or just the fact that, you know, when you'd notice things, you, the characters noticed things, right? No, no one was oblivious to what was going on. No one was, well, I'll just end it with that. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly correct. Well, and there there was I think there was one shot in the whole movie that I noticed that really, you know, somebody offset should have been would have been visible, but it wasn't it wasn't badly done. It was just a necessity because of the layout of the land basically. Gotcha. Okay. It wasn't clumsy, well, I guess is a good way to say it. All right, fair enough. Well, the thinking that the they, they finally got him, the lawmen ride off to get some help to drag the lake to look for the body. They think they finally got Bran because when they're shooting at him, you know, he, he drops a snorkel and makes a makes a, a, a dive for deeper water. Well, Bran, of course, didn't get shot, and so he makes his way to shore. And when he comes up, he comes face to face with this uh, stranger that's been watching. Now, thinking that that, that man is the sheriff or one of the lawmen, he well. I guess you got me. <laughs> Come on out, stranger. I ain't the law. You're a pretty smart hombre. And you got plenty of nerve. It strikes me the boss could use somebody like you. What's your name? Smith, ain't it? That's the handle most of you fast travelers use. Ah, that's as good as any. Mine's Jones. Hey, you're pretty near all in, ain't you? Better come on up with me to the hideout and meet the big chief. We're short a couple of hands. Well, the man Jones uh, takes Brant, who is now Smith, uh, to go meet the leader of his gang. This, of course, is the first shot we see of Bronson Canyon in the in the cave, quote-unquote, where the uh, gang is holed up. Uh, reluctantly, the leader of this gang, who the Jones just calls the chief a lot, but I think he actually is at one point, at least once in the film, referred to as Walsh. And in the credits, in any kind of credits, he's, he's actually Ed Walsh. He's got a first name. Reluctantly, this leader allows Smith to stay on as the new cook, because apparently the old cook got hurt really bad the other day. <laughs> like they say, well, now that you brought him here, we got to do something with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of get the impression that that was sort of a, and definitely the reaction that Jones gives, that that was meant as a little bit more ominous than just, oh, we got to find something to do with them. It's more like, mm, we got to do something with them. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's going to be a, a hole right. <laughs> not too far from, yeah, exactly. So, because Jones definitely looks a little downcast, and then, uh, then uh, Walsh comes up with, hey, we need a new cook. Let's <laughs> try him out there. And they were, oh, cool, that's great. Like, oh, wow, they they were just going to kill the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, later on that night or sometime soon, uh, while 
uh, Smith is doing his cooking duty. There's a uh, long card game uh, with a good big group of the gang. And Jones catches the chief, Ed Walsh, there cheating. Of course, a giant fight breaks out. And Smith steps in to help Jones against the chief. Smith looks ready to really go at it after taking one on the jaw uh, when another man of the gang knocks him out with a chair. Yeah. Again, I, this is this is another one of those kind of moments where John Wayne didn't get knocked out by chairs. Yeah, no, <laughs> but yeah. he's young enough and this is early enough in his career. He actually does. So <laughs> a unique moment in his, well, definitely in his later career, not something you would have seen. Now, point out this, this I... I thought this was a unique thing. I realized that this was this film was actually is actually considered a pre-code film. So one of the things, not a lot in this film would make it stand out for that, except that when John Wayne takes one in the mouth, he's got blood on his. Yes, head. he does. I didn't really think about that. Now a year later, or actually even later this year, or a lot of other films made in this year, things like blood were not allowed in the films. Uh, the westerns were filled with a lot of people getting shot, clutching their chest, and falling to the ground mm -hmm. without any sign of injury. So I thought that that just really stood out to me. I was like, "Holy crap! He's he's got a mark. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's bleeding. <laughs> it's very uh very cool. There's a the actual pre-code story is really interesting. I don't know if we want to get into a lot of it here. I didn't do a great deal of research or note taking on it. It might be but, worth really pursuing that in another film where we can see a lot more of that picked out and kind of discuss yes. the one foot on the floor rule and things like that. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, back in town at the sheriff's, uh, we get a little bit more detail into the crime that John Brandt is accused of. $1,000 reward will be paid for information leading to the capture of John Brandt. Sentenced to the Maryland State Prison when he was found with the body of George Wagner, wealthy club man in the love nest apartment of Mrs. Joseph Conlon. Brand escaped from prison May 14th and is thought to have headed west. You know, that's the bird we lost at the lake yesterday. I'll have to send in a report on him. Funny thing about that case. The husband of the woman that was mixed up in it Float around these parts too. I got a handbill on him just yesterday. You might have saved Brant if he'd only turned up and testified. So, so, so we did. We we learned that another man involved in the case, a man that could have cleared Brant had he testified, uh, has also been reported in the area that the sheriff is patrolling. And we find through the wanted poster that man is none other than our new friend Jones. <laughs> uh, this is, I think, one of very few kind of have like actually intentionally humorous lines in yes. this movie. You, you, I'm sure yes. you made note of it too. <laughs> I did, I did, I do love it. I, my, the big highlight, great bit of humor here. The, the sheriff sits there and ponders, like, oh, I wonder what Brant would, uh, would do if he crossed paths with this, with this uh, Joe Conlon is the Jones's real name. He says, I bet he'd make it pretty hot for him. And, of course, cut to a scene of Smith pouring coffee for Mr. Uh, for Mr. Jones or Conlon, whatever you want to call him. The names are going to get confusing oh, yeah. from here on in. 
And he takes a little taste. Oof, you sure made it plenty hot for sure me. Made it pretty hot for me. I love that. He probably he would have made it pretty hot for him. Hey, sure made it pretty hot for me. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. I wasn't expecting. I guess I wasn't expecting that sort of um, inside joke humor. No, I, I agree. I, it was. I think up until now, the dialogue has been pretty bland, pretty rote, pretty um, predictable. But then they they threw this one little bit of humor in there, and I kind of wait. What did they? Oh, they did that. <laughs> <Yeah>. huh. <laughs> well, the chief comes in and sends Smith out to water the horses, and he has a little private chat with Jones. Uh, he's not too sure about this Smith guy, and he thinks he may be a star packer, which is, I think, a great <laughs> slang for an undercover cop. <laughs> <laughs> Jones vouches for him says that he and Smith will go pull a safe job at the general store together to prove them both. Well, the boys head to the store okay, to kind of taste to, the joint I got to pause you here, man. There's yeah. something I picked up the second time watching it, and I missed the location the first time I watched it to the point where I, I kind of even thought, where, where are they supposed to go? And he says, if you get in a jam, hide out at Blind Pete's. Right. Well, I like the, when I caught that the second time I watched it I was like oh, Blind Pete oh my gosh have you seen Silverado yeah the, yeah sure. the secret their like secret phrase to get Jake out of jail is Blind Pete always said you'd hang well I guess tomorrow at dawn he'll be proved right <laughs> Pete was it Blind Pete Blind Pete <laughs> I thought it was Lion Pete Blind Pete always said oh hang. my gosh it's been too long since I've seen I, it I've got to dig that no, one back up I, honestly I makes me really really wonder if that's not a nod to this movie because they you know they do blind feet a couple times in this movie you know they go they talk about it right. and then you actually see him and i got i just was like oh, oh that is awesome great catch great <laughs> so I, catch. I have no idea if there's actually any intentional link between silverado and sagebrush trail but you would it would make sense they're both classic sure. westerns you know in Obviously, from very different eras, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was a nod to this. Oh, that is awesome. I love Silverado. I'm yeah. one of the few oh, people I know that actually likes Silverado. You like How it too? Is that That's possible? awesome. Oh, it's I don't know. I keep talking to a lot of people that hate, they think How? Silverado's stupid. I love Silverado. If they did not, though, uh, no, these people are, Christopher, stop being friends with those people. They're stupid. <laughs> I, exactly. I, I think I have. You I have, cannot. I, I have by now. Like, Silverado is the greatest Western made since the great Westerns were being made, probably since 1955. I can't, yeah. I don't know all the dates of the great Westerns, but it, as far as I'm concerned, from 1960 on, best western made definitely classic the, it's a classic oh, western the character yeah. lineup the actors in it the acting this the plot the oh it's sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna stop but i blind feet yeah. is in this too <laughs> i got so excited when i heard that <laughs> well the boys head to the general store to kind of case out the place and upon entering they are immediately stopped in their tracks by the lovely young woman behind the counter sally were you gentlemen interested in looking at something I'll say so. Have you any uh, rutabagas? Certainly. Which is interesting. I and I would like to know a little bit more about this actress. Um, mm -hmm. Didn't see anything specifically that just really stood out at me. I don't think. Um, but I I thought it was kind of interesting because I didn't. She didn't seem like a classic Hollywood kind of bombshell to me. 
No, no, she wasn't. I thought I found her to be very um, almost plain, plain, maybe just sort of typical for the time. I mean, she definitely had that 30s um, movie star look about her. Mm hmm. But yeah, nothing, nothing exceptional. But she, she was pretty. I'm not saying she wasn't. I, I thought she was pretty, but she certainly wasn't. You know, for the sake of the script, <laughs> hey, these guys are hanging out with a bunch of men in a cave, right? So right. The girl at the general store <laughs> totally is gonna look good. Well, and, and she wasn't <laughs> really in anything else. Um, you know, she was only in a few things. So I'm curious how she got cast in this movie specifically. But mm. I didn't really see anything about it. While Jones uh, cases out the safe in particular, uh, Smith scrolls out a warning of about the job that's going to happen that night on some wrapping paper. While both Ben uh, do the, uh, as I put it, the aw shucks shopping. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of shopping that we men do when we're smitten with the girl behind the counter. <laughs> I'll take two of those and two yeah, of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, Rutabaga, that'd be great. Because <laughs> every gang hiding out in a cave wants Rutabaga. Well, well he great. is the cook, right? <laughs> right. Oh. I, did, I did think of that. No, I just thought it was funny because I'm thinking, you know what? I've done this shopping. Oh. <laughs> I've bought the girl behind the counter her you know, a pair of earrings <gasps> yeah, <You laughs> for her own store. I have, yeah. Well, I was at the Renaissance Festival. She was, you, you, you know what they're like at the festivals. You know. um, no, I have no idea what you mean. <laughs> well, after they finish their shop and they head out, uh, passing on the new hat bands that Sally tries to sell them. Well, another customer comes in for his order, and Sally wraps his package, and that's when she notices the messages, or the message on it. Uh, she shares the note with her father, who owns the store. And so he decides he, he plans on having a, a couple of men at the store that night to set up a little bit of a trap. Yeah, I, what is the note? It says something like, um, ha, leave a couple men and the lights on in the store or your uh, safe will be robbed, something like that. Exactly. And then exactly. he says, well, we'll be waiting for him, but we won't have the lights off. <laughs> or, or we right. won't have the lights on is what he says. Exactly. <laughs> we'll cut the night. Uh, the store is well guarded. Uh, Smith and Jones come walk up to the store, and uh, Smith notices that the lights are off. He's like, mm, "Lights off? That's that's not good." <laughs> he knows something. Oh. <laughs> uh, either either she didn't get the message, or there's some there's trouble brewing. I wonder if maybe he thought she just didn't get the message because he's actually the first one to go through the door. I think that, it, I think they did that intentionally because he says, "Oh, you better let me go first. And so mm -hmm. I think he knew there might be something, you know, he already appreciates that this guy has helped him, even though right. he may not know who this guy is, you know, so mm -hmm. he's going to put himself in harm's way before he, because ultimately deep down inside, you know, it's John Wayne. He's, he's a good guy. Right. He is a good guy. Yeah. And, he, and he, he, is, he plays the good guy in this film as much as he can. Mm -hmm. Well, Smith takes a shot in the arm from the guys hiding in the store. So Jones drags him off to Blind Pete's, which is sort of a bar hotel somewhere on the outside of town. And apparently uh, several, I, was, I think it was several weeks pass as uh, Smith heals, may even been longer. They do the calendar fade. Right. So I, I appreciate <laughs> Jones uh, comes in and talks to the old, old Blind Pete. Uh, Pete seems to have an ear to the rail on stuff that goes on around around there. And he lets Jones know that a payroll is coming in on the three o'clock stage. 
I like that Blind Pete is a you know the appears to be sort of the bartender, but he does appear to be blind. And every time you see him, he's pretty much in the exact same spot, leaning against the bar. That's just that's where you're going to find Blind Pete. <laughs> he's, he's got that one elbow permanently attached to the bar. Everything else is in arm's reach. Yep. While visiting Smith, Jones notices the shiny new hat band on, on Smith's uh, hat, which is where I guess Darn you would find hat, the band hat band foiled again. Mm-hmm. So he starts to suspect that Smith may be calling on Sally. <laughs> Smith rides a so he tells Jones that he's gonna sit there. He's gotta stay a little while and uh, finish his recovery because they're gonna pull this this uh, stagecoach job and it's no place for an invalid. Well, Smith rides out to catch the stagecoach before the gang does. <laughs> and this is the this is the stunt I want to talk about. Though I don't forget that he does this great thing, which hey I. Not sure it's a, it's what I would try to do, but he cover he lays himself down in the middle of the road <laughs> and covers himself up with some leaves and branches and waits for the stage to go over him. I'm thinking, you know what goes in front of the stage the though? Horses. horses. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! You better, you it makes better sense hope with a truck. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense with a truck, but not with horses. Yeah. So anyway, the horses go over. The stage goes over, and he jumps up. He grabs up and grabs the stage from underneath, and climbs up from behind so he can get the drop on the riders of the stagecoach. Now, this is the stunt that was apparently actually, um, I guess, done a few times by Knut. It kind of perfected it, and it. If you remember in uh, Indiana Jones. Oh yeah. It where he falls in front of the truck and climbs underneath, mm-hmm. and then comes up from behind. Well, apparently, Knut has done similar stunts to that. And so Spiel, that was kind of Spielberg's sort of nod to, to Knut yeah. in that film. So I thought that was very cool. Interesting. So anyway, yes, he gets the... Uh, uh, what was his name? Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the names are getting confusing. Smith gets the jump on the guys on the, on the coach. He tells them to don't turn around, lose the gun, throw the payroll off, you know, don't, and just and keep driving. So they may he managed to do this. He gets off the stage, stagecoach, and he stashes the box in an old tree in, in, in a field. So the stagecoach goes on down the road. Of course, the gang stops the stagecoach, but there's nothing to rob. So they just they let everyone yeah, I go. I love how they kind of explain it too. Like they're yeah. just sitting there having this kind of casual conversation with the guys that are trying to rob them. Oh yeah, right. this guy we never saw his face. He just told us to throw it off, so we did. <laughs> and the gang mm-hmm. is like, "Well, I guess there's nothing to take then." All right, let's. Yeah, move on. I like like. <laughs> well, they must be telling the truth. There ain't right. no sign of the payroll. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. It's such a simpler time. <laughs> It was. I, I just love the fact that all the all these quote unquote hardened criminals and crooks and you know robbers, you know, take everything at their word. Exactly. <laughs> okay. It is interesting that uh, Jones does lie to the chief about telling Smith about the job because, of course, uh, the chief doesn't trust Smith, and he has a feeling that maybe he might be behind them. Uh, you know, this stagecoach getting robbed beforehand. Mm-hmm. But Jones uh, st- still, you know, he's struck out a bit of a friendship with Smith because, you know, Smith has come to his defense. He's helped him. They've helped each other. So he actually lies to the chief about telling him that he did, in fact, tell uh, uh, Smith about it. He does kind of take a look around on his own, though, and he does discover a shiny hat band in the road. <laughs> 
Well, meanwhile, Smith uh, rides to the general store and confides in Sally the truth about himself. Tells her the truth about, you know, why he's there, what's going on. And before he leaves uh, to head back to Blind Peach, she notices that his hat band's missing and she you know, gets him a fresh <laughs> one from the store. Well, Jones is waiting at Blind Peach for Smith to come back and he confronts him. And he's pretty much, he knows, he's got evidence now. He's got the hat band in his hand. He's got evidence that he's been sneaking out and seeing Sally. But then he sees the uh, hat band, you know, on his hat. And like, uh, I don't know what to do now. Right. <laughs> oh. Well, I didn't expect to see you here, partner. How'd the stage job come off? Why, not so good. Somebody beat us to it. Fact is, the boys kind of think you did it. Looks funny, too, you being away. I'd sort of suspect you myself if it hadn't been for the way you the other night. <laughs> well, maybe I did rob this stage. Say, just where were you anyway? You haven't been over to see Sally, have you? You know, we're pals and all that. I like you fine, Smith. But if I thought you were cutting in on Sally... You don't think you're good enough for her, do you? Do you think you are? No. I don't. Maybe you're right. I might have been, though, if a woman hadn't double-crossed me. It was several years ago. I came out here from Baltimore. Baltimore? Yeah, why? I knew somebody in Baltimore once. I came out here to regain my health. When I went back, I found my wife in the arms of another man. We fought, and I killed him, Smith. I got away and headed out here. I've been a fugitive ever since. Was her name Conlon? What do you want to know for? I think I read about it in the papers. Yeah. I suppose it was in all the papers. Funny, I never saw one after I left. And you never knew what happened after that? No. I never heard any more about it. Well, come on, you need a drink, partner. You know we ought to give up this racket, though. It's gonna lead us both to a rope necktie one of these days. So it turns out that Jones is the man that Smith has been searching for this entire time. Uh, but I love the fact that, you know, he's going, he's tensing up, he's sitting up, he's reaching for his gun. And then he, when he realizes that Jones, after he left, had no idea about anything that happened afterwards. Yeah, I guess it would have been in the papers, but didn't see a paper after that. Right. Didn't know that anyone had gone to prison for his crime. And at that, that's when the Smith was like, ah, oh, well, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the end of the revenge right there. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's interesting to note that at this point, like after this conversation, this exchange, John Wayne's through this, his clothes have been kind of getting lighter and lighter after this, he starts dressing in white. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but I love it too with Joe. I know I'm a little obsessed with the clothes and the the symbolism, mm -hmm. you know, with the light and the dark and all that. But it's interesting to note that through the whole thing, Jones is dressed in black and white. He's got a white mm -hmm. shirt, but he's got a black vest on. It's you know, I mean, you can obviously read into that that maybe underneath it he's a good guy, but he's hanging out with these bad guys, you know, 
anyway, right. it's just, it, yeah. But it's interesting because it's like all up to this point, he's been like looking for this guy and thinking he's going to maybe get revenge. But then once he realizes that this guy wasn't really, isn't really a bad guy, then he just it t- decides he's right. going to be a good guy and he's not going to do anything bad again or ever. Yeah. And I think rather than re- revenge, Smith decides that what he really going to try to do is to get Jones out of this life. I, I, he says, exactly. you know, we, we, we got to get out of this because you know o- only a only a rope necktie is our in, in our future mm-hmm. if we keep it up. Yeah. So I thought that was uh, it was just it was a really great scene. I really loved that little bit between them. And actually, believe it or not, that is the halfway point of this film. From here on in is actually the that's the some of the really good bits. So I don't want to give anything away. This is what's really fun is the fact that this is like we were saying it's such a short film. It's a real easy watch it is. and. That makes me really, you know, want to recommend that people go check it out, just because it's not going to take any more time than you sitting down and watching a show on television. So yeah, do we have any final thoughts? We want to rate this. Yeah, I think we can rate it. I think um, there, it is worth mentioning again that if you're looking at uh, just you know for some interesting horse-related stunts, this is a, a pretty decent film to see a lot of them in it. They've got mm-hmm. you know everything from. You know, there's one point where, uh, and I'm not sure who the actual stuntman is who actually does it. I know that it's meant to be Brant's character and it's kind of near the end, but he runs at a horse and he kind of almost like karate kicks onto him. Yeah. <laughs> like he's got yeah, one leg up one higher I, and he just like gets on. <laughs> that's the one I think he just sort of like makes me, maybe takes a kick off a wall or something and just, well, this is, he's just on the horse on the ground and and just, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then there's another one too where he uh, he runs across a um, a porch and steps on a um, like a, a hitch post, a, yeah, on a, a rail, post. and then ste- and runs across a horse and jumps onto the last horse. <laughs> and, and there's just <laughs> yes. things in this that you really wouldn't pick up if you're just casually watching it. But there's some really kind of interesting some interesting physical action in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much. Yeah, it, it made it a lot of fun. The, I think it was the one with the, you just described with him kind of running across and, and sort of side mounting this horse. I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. did you see that? Yep. <laughs> that was one of the, you want to rewind it and watch it yep, again. Yeah, exactly. And it, there's it, there's a point where he switches horses three different times, and this is like the last horse he gets onto, um, you know, through this sequence. But yeah, definitely worth watching if you're you're curious to see some early stunts. Yep, very much. And some like we were saying too, uh, some what I considered fairly innovative filmmaking. Certainly, you know the underwater stuff and and what was actual acting underwater. Yeah, I mean that <laughs> had to be very well. Someone had to be paying a lot of attention and trying really hard to get that right because you had to have the guy's foot step in the right place. Exactly. Uh, John Wayne's reaction underwater and how he, you know, it was really well directed. That little bit mm-hmm. right there. And I think overall, I thought the film was really well directed. And, you know, like I was saying, I mean, no one has really played for the stooge or for the idiot. There is some, maybe a little bit of some wooden acting. Yeah, a little bit of, like I said, predictable lines, not right. terribly sharp dialogue. Um, but but also, I mean, if you take into consideration, this is one of the earlier ones. And, I mean, talking film was within the first decade during this movie. Right. So, you know, may, these may very well have been lines nobody had ever said on film before. And we've just heard it so much since that 
you know, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> it, it's not like anyone's really had a large amount of time to kind of hone their craft. Mm-hmm. Especially where dialogue is concerned. Or really even needed to. Exactly. Uh, you were an actor was effectively a paid employee of a studio mm-hmm. and you went to work and you did your role and then the, then the next day you went to another film and you know you did your part kind of thing mm-hmm. and there wasn't this oh I need to you know hone my craft and be the best so I can star there wasn't really that much of um, that wasn't the big motivation it seems mm. it wasn't quite so um, competitive yeah yeah exactly I, I think John Wayne in this year, I, I think I counted he did about a, like 11 or 12 films in this year alone. And I noticed that too, looking through the cast list and just kind of checking out what other films they'd been in. Almost everybody in these films were in just tons and tons of Westerns during a mm-hmm. two and three year period right here uh, between 33, 34, that kind of, you know, those right. years put together. And they're just are dozens of them and I, I mean i'm sure there's a lot of crossover these guys probably work together you know especially the the um supporting cast but right. I, I mean they're just like you mentioned westerns were a staple and mm-hmm. m- like pretty much everybody in this with the exception of the the female um lead in this everybody was just in numerous numerous westerns so anyway let's give it some othel ratings um, I'll go ahead and go first if you want, because I, I know what I'm going to give it. Um, because it's such an easy watch, um, I had a good time watching it. I, maybe even a little bit more than I was expecting to. But I'm going to actually I'm actually going to give it a four. I mean, I, I it was a lot of fun, and I I think a lot of that comes from the fact that if it were a full length film, if it was an hour and a half, two hours long, I may only come in at a three. But because it's so short and easy to watch, I, that's where I come in at four. Mm-hmm. What do you think? <laughs> um, I honestly, I feel pretty solid on a three. And a lot of that, I mean, part of that is I want to take into consideration our listeners. Um, you know, and, and we kind of, you don't want to compare it to another film. But at the same time, I think, you know, if you're looking for some great classic um, orphaned films to watch, I probably would not list this among them. Um, as you mentioned, it's, it's entertaining. It's easy to watch there, you know, uh, but aside from that, that kind of that one underwater shot and then, you know, the, the stunts that we talked about, there's not a lot in here that you couldn't see in, in another movie. So it wasn't poorly done by any, by any stretch, but I also would not rank it as an exceptional movie. So I think I think it's you know a solid a solid C a solid three ovals. All right, fair enough. No, I, I I agree with you. I think it was maybe just, I think maybe sometimes I'm taken aback and surprised a little bit about how, what I would consider innovative some of the stuff is when you when you get the mm-hmm. sort of inside joke humor, uh, when you get the underwater shots mm-hmm. that are that well directed, and and. And then the fact that I was just so, oh, my gosh, that's blood. You know, we see actually see blood a couple <laughs> times in the film. And so sometimes I, I think even after all this time, I'm still a little surprised to see how, uh, for lack of a better term, modern old films are. Mm-hmm. If you, no, <laughs> if you that's take definitely, my meaning. I do agree with that. And it's. Uh, you know, what struck me once I, w- I was watching specifically the Lady Eve, which I've watched over and over. I can't get enough of that movie. Um, and and it 
after having watched it literally probably a dozen times, I really caught on to how much um, innuendo there is in it. Uh, so many of the lines are are sexual. And, and even just things that I, you know, I didn't catch the first six times I watched it. Uh, and so it's interesting, I think that, you know, it, but it's clever. It's much more clever than what we tend to see now. And I think that it surprises us when we see that kind of modern flavor in an older movie, but really very little changes in society, very little changes across, you know, our specifically American culture. So, um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. It's interesting to see how modern it is sometimes, but I think too, that it would be interesting to look at some more films from this era, some more of the, um, pre, um, Pre-code. Yeah, the pre-code movies mm-hmm. and see kind of – I would be interested to compare this one to some other pre-code movies and see what happens. Uh, yeah, see absolutely. how we feel about them. I actually think from – at least for a little while, I'm actually going to try to concentrate on, on pulling out some pre-code stuff. Some films that are, are legitimately mm-hmm. pre-code. Uh, just because we mm-hmm. haven't delved – surprisingly enough, we haven't delved that far back that much no we really haven't and i think i've been surprised because when we first started talking about you know doing this podcast together and we talked about stuff that was out of uh out of copyright i kind of had it in my head we'd be looking at a lot of really older stuff and i was very surprised at the very wide variety of of things we found you know that have even been filmed within the last 20 30 years Mm -hmm. so i think you know it could be entertaining to go on you know a a few episode kick of looking at some pre-code stuff and find out I, I, I reckon I realize we're still recording, but this is just kind of it's an interesting oh. process to think about, you know, and maybe something that I, I would love to hear back from our, our listeners on, you know, if that's something they'd like to hear about, because it's, you know, even though we are, you know, we we've up to this point picked most of the stuff that we've reviewed and, you know, if that's something that would be interesting, I'd love to know that. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've got some pre-code fans and I know we've got a fan or two that are or a, I shouldn't say we have a fan or two. We have a listener or two that are fans of uh, some of the pre-code horror films. Mm-hmm. And that would certainly be That would be fantastic. I mean, so maybe... To know what they might like us to uh, to, to, to pick exactly. up. Exactly. So if there is a specific pre-code genre or something that you think we should take a look at, let us know. I think one of the reasons why it's been a little... Why we haven't gone back as far is, you know, it's really just sort of this small decade decade and a half time between when it was a silent and then when it was postcode mm-hmm. so although like i was saying you know they, they were making 10 20 films you know in a year so you think there, there's got to be plenty out there but unfortunately a lot of those films are some yeah. of the harder ones to find uh they they weren't mm-hmm. say they they haven't been digitized and Unfortunately, I don't have a you know 16 millimeter projector or 35 millimeter or whatever to uh, to watch yeah. anything, even if I came across. Well, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas then. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's not going to hurt the bank account. Me trying to scrounge up old film cans. Oh my and- <laughs> goodness. <laughs> no, hon, it's fine. I know they're I know they're silver nitrate and they're prone to exploding, you know, on their own. Oh god. It's all good. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I guess that is going to do it. So, yeah, look forward to some um, some older, older films. Hopefully, some some pre-code stuff. I, I think that that's going to be fun. I'm I'm interested. It's it's actually something I've only recently really been aware of. Believe it or not, the whole idea of the pre-code and what it meant. 
I thought it was maybe something selected really more for the horror genre only, but no, it, it actually does seem to bleed into a lot of other films. Pardon the pun, bleed horror. Yeah. Well, um, like I mentioned, the one foot on the floor rule, you know, things that mm-hmm. if you, and I love watching, especially films from the forties and the fifties when that specifically that code was in effect. And anytime you have a man and a woman in a romantic scene together, I'm always looking for the one foot on the floor. I always, (laughs) always am. And and there's a great scene. I know I already mentioned the Lady Eve. There's an excellent scene where you see them play that off really smoothly. And it's one of the probably raciest scenes I've seen almost in any movie that is not just, you know, openly... uh, I can't even think of a good word for it. It's very racy, but of course everybody has their clothes on and you meet the one foot on the floor. It's very, um, I I can't even think of a good word for it, but it would be interesting, I think, to go back and look at how, I, I mean, how the codes came about and see if we can kind of pick out why it became more of a concern. Because I, I would be very curious to see if there's anything that was in the films in the thirties, especially that was shocking or, you know, twenties and thirties that was shocking enough to me that I would feel like there was, that a code was necessary, you know, to protect viewers, whether I agree with it or not. I'm very narcissistic. Maybe that's a very narcissistic, narcissistic focus, (laughs) but I'd be very interested to see if that's some, you know, if I agree with code or if I, you know, go back to my, my youthful ideals where I think that, you know, we shouldn't have any kind of restrictions. Right. All right. Well, that is going to be fun. I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next, you know, however many months that we, uh, we look into this. And so next time I, I'll, I'll actually have a little bit more history on the code and what it meant, uh, as well as discuss the, the, the film that we choose. Mm-hmm. So I want to thank everyone for listening to Orphan Entertainment. I hope you keep on downloading. So we got some fun stuff coming up. So I think, you know, download, download, download. <laughs> Listen twice. Any- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Find the gems uh, that we say that you didn't catch the first time around. <laughs> exactly. And uh, Lydia, of course, thank you very much for joining me again. That's always a pleasure. All right. Well, that is going to do it. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.